In this episode, Dr. Cashy explores the convenient but negative effects of a rigid, impulsive, and frankly, egotistical approach to problem solving. The Good Doctor explains how this pursuit inflates self-esteem and makes it difficult to consider evidence that can actually help us and may even make us compulsive. Listen to this thought-provoking episode to learn more about transitioning to a more rational and flexible problem-solving approach to make life just a little more worth living. Roll the intro! Hello, and welcome to <sighs> Coffee with Cashy. I am your host, Dr. Trevor Cashy. We're at a home stretch of this mini course here on this self-esteem disease, the misery it causes, and how to transition yourself over to self-respect, self that there's self-respect, so that instead of rating yourself in your entirety whenever you make a goof, like, oh, I made a mistake, therefore I am a mistake, which is pretty silly, after you look at it closer... You can instead, trans instead transition over to self-respect so that maybe you can take a more objective approach and evaluate what you did instead of who you are. Therefore, you have a better chance of fixing it and help other people at the same time if that's your gig, all right? And hey, transitioning from a rigid, self-centered, egotistical and impulsive approach to problem solving, which is more like problem creating, right? Uh, to a more rational and flexible approach to problem solving so that you can solve problems while they're still practical problems instead of blowing them up into these big cognitive and emotional problems, which are far nastier beasts to slay. <laughs> evaluating what you do is a more effective means of being happy and satisfied than evaluating who you are. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, yeah, again, self-esteem is useful. People who think very highly of themselves are often more motivated to be studious, creative, and inventive so that they can maintain their high levels of self-worth or sometimes bolstering it to feel godlike. And that probably feels pretty good. Similarly, people who think poorly of themselves are often more motivated to be studious and creative and inventive, so they can think more highly of themselves, which means they are higher up on this fabricated pyramid of greatness in their heads, right? Do you know anyone who thinks lowly of themselves and then acts impulsively to distract themselves because of it? Maybe they buy things or get mad at people or hurt themselves or glaze over while staring at a screen or drink or eat or all these things, either all at once or swapping between them. This is but one of the small prices paid for the legitimate benefits of the self-esteem disease. So this lesson is the price you pay for that usefulness. These are 15 side effects of the self-esteem disease, and these are some of the more important reasons why rating yourself as either good or bad as a person has immense dangers and will frequently handicap you, thus defeating the whole purpose of this self-esteem game. I'm going to bust out the list here. Tiny T, back in action. Whoopsh. Tiny T, back in action, and get the list Ready? Yeah. Okay. Is this legible? Yes, it is. Excelente. Right. So we're going to we're going to go down this list. I have pretty good or rather expansive fleshed out explanations of all of these side effects of the self-esteem disease or symptoms of the self-esteem disease, as it were. Okay. One, again, to work well, the self-esteem disease requires you to have outrageous levels of competency and influence over yourself and others and otherworldly luck. Why? You can only elevate your ego when you do well or deflate it when you do poorly. Good luck doing well all the time. You'll need it. Even if you do act perfectly and influence others perfectly, you'll still need the universe to smile upon you, thus having absolute certainty that it'll be sunny as you parade yourself every day. All right, number two. 
Make sure this stays consistently strong. Make sure your self-esteem stays consistently strong after you inflate it uh, and increase it. You'll, you'll need to live a literally outstandingly and exceptionally and have exceptional talents to make this work, okay? Only if you see yourself in others as especially, only if you see yourself and others see you as especially talented can you justify accepting yourself, which means obviously rating yourself highly. Combine your genius and your godliness and you're all set. Hot diggity, okay? Number three, say you are a godlike genius. To consistently rate yourself highly, whoop, to consistently rate yourself highly, you must display your godlike influence and genius level utility consistently. And by consistently, it obviously means all the time, every day. Any delay in your display and down comes your crown. And as soon as you get yourself down, it makes it much easier to keep yourself down. Now, how's that for a cognitive grinder? Number four, Whoopsh. scooty scooty. Number four, the whole point of acquiring self-esteem is to achieve status with yourself and status with other people to impress at face value, right? Make an impression to impress them with your worthiness as a person. If you must impress others and yourself, winning the approval of yourself and others consistently so that you can be an acceptable or good person, good luck, quickly leads to preoccupation. The mission for status and approval ends up overshadowing your mission to have a satisfa satisfactory and joyful and happy life. Remember, human prime directive two. Prime directive one is staying alive, and prime directive two is having a halfway decent time. Becoming obsessed with status interferes your ability to have a halfway decent time, although it may improve your ability to stay alive. So, tension, tension, right? You'll eventually convince yourself that, whoops, You'll eventually convince yourself that one, seeking happiness and satisfaction is a silly idea because the only thing that matters is whatever I'm pursuing right now, which is indubitably related to status. And two, or two, you end up confusing the pursuit of self-acceptance and status with others with seeking happiness and satisfaction, mistaking them for the same thing. Also super common. If you need to accept yourself and have others accept you, to be satisfied and happy, then that means you seek universal acceptance. That's a tall order. Good luck. Indeed, even if you do look and act and manage to think perfectly, if there was ever a recipe for hatred, that's it. <laughs> Why? Because it insults their self-esteem. Womp womp. <laughs> Number five. Since you are inevitably human in your humanness, even when you think, urge, and act so as to impress others, make an impression, right? Supposedly gaining status and therefore worth as a person in, in that way, you tend to at least in part embellish what you think, what you know, and what you can do. This phoniness has a twofold impact. One, you're acting phony and you know it. And since you globally rate yourself, that means now you indubitably are a phony as a person, defeating the purpose of becoming a good person in the eyes of others and yourself, defeating that purpose, right? <laughs> and number two, when you act phonily to gain that status and it inevitably fails when it does at least one time, you're both a phony and now you're crappy at being phony. How's that for being below the garbage level of humanity when you're self-rating, huh? Number six, Boo -doo -doo. moving right along. When you do justify a high rating for yourself, at least temporarily, you do think you're better than other people. That's why it feels so good. Indeed, you may know some stuff people are ignorant to, and you may be able to do some things that 
maybe are better than the way other people do them. And that might inflate you to such delusions as I'm the greatest and I'm the super best that ever was, right? You've probably done something great and said that to yourself in your head. Typically is a joke, right? I'm the greatest. Here's the kicker. Even if you say something like that jokingly and you brush it off as a joke, one, you give yourself permission to say it. <laughs> Two, it's, you smugly reinforce it in your head if other people agree with it, even though you pretend you're joking. And three, you save your self-esteem by pointing out, well, it's obviously a joke. I don't actually mean I'm the greatest in case anybody does argue with it. So it's simultaneously bolstering and protective, okay? And justifying all at the same time. Three strikes, man. It's impressive. Number seven. Number seven. When you indubitably get down on yourself... When you fall short of your godlike demands, you create a tendency to focus myopically on the stuff you hate about yourself. Selectively seeing the stuff you hate is part of what makes you feel like you're a bad person or that you hate yourself as a person. Generalizing and disasterifying these negative traits into negative views of yourself entirely. This makes it feel fixed because now instead of having an ugly trait, you're an ugly person. And now you are, since you are that way as a person, that is fixed and therefore blocking your ability to change it which keeps you stuck on the self-downing train. Gross. Another cognitive grinder there, right? Number eight. Number eight. When you, when you rate yourself and become preoccupied with rating yourself, even if you succeed in earning a good rating, you do so at the expense of becoming obsessed with success and achievement and attainment and outstandingness and genius and godliness and all this other stuff. When the whole idea was to gain that status to make yourself happy, but the obsession with attaining that status blocks you from being grateful when you achieve it. This has strong underlying perfectionistic traits, literally training yourself to be mad and irritated at a positive result. Why? Because the positive result should have just been better anyway. You get mad when you get a good result that should have been better because logic and stuff. <laughs> okay. Number nine, number nine, although self rating occasionally helps performance based activities, it typically makes it worse. Uh, the benefits are typically reserved for people who are literally the top of the top of the top of the top until they are toppled from the top, right? And this is what performance anxiety is. The pressure arouses the nervous system. It is a biogenic and psychogenic nervous system arousal, beating heart, sweaty palms, dilated pupils, vigilance, things like that. And that pressure that arouses the nervous system ultimately destroys your ability to perform, thus indubitably falling short of the standard and justifying an even lower self rating. Sometimes, ironically, dropping out of the, dropping out of the activity entirely especially when the whole point was to establish your superiorness of worth and skill. Number 10. Number 10. Just like performance, self-rating promotes, just like performance anxiety, uh, self-rating promotes self-consciousness, uh, embarrassment and shame, which is mostly just more intense embarrassment and guilt in creative pursuits and creative expression. This is the equal opposite, but practically similar cousin to performance anxiety, self-consciousness, being aware of your thoughts and your situation is good, but the self-consciousness that comes with global rating, I did something silly versus I am an embarrassment compels you to constantly spy on yourself whenever you're performing or doing anything. And this constant spying on yourself, wondering, 
Should I be embarrassed? Am I being embarrassing? What are they thinking of me? How am I performing? Et cetera, et cetera. This, this engenders a pathological self-consciousness with shame and guilt, which therefore impedes and handicaps your ability to creatively express yourself and get that acceptance that you want anyway. Ironic. And that makes it tough to be happy and satisfied. Does that make sense? Hope that makes sense. Number 11. Number 11. When you rate yourself and others, you focus more on yourself and more on other people. And this blocks you from focusing on the problems you could be solving. Since those problems now, instead of, instead of being the practical problems they are, you make those problems people. Instead of making the problem a problem you can solve, the person ends up becoming a problem instead of what you do or what they do. So if you, if you cause a problem that you can solve, you might think I am the problem and changing yourself is way different than solving the problem. And since changing people is relatively impossible, uh, if you make a person a problem, then you can make the problem exist and get worse and constantly frustrate you and sensitize yourself to that frustration forever, thereby proving your assessment that I am the problem or they are the problem and therefore it is impossible to fix, making it worse. Quite convenient. <laughs> Number 12. Number 12. Self-rating and self-esteem foster impulsions and worse, compulsions. When you train yourself to rate yourself poorly when you fall beneath a standard, an arbitrary standard, you're simultaneously saying, I must exceed that standard at all times or else I am bad, thus proving the need for these stupid standards. This desperate need to exceed the standards, impulses, can sometimes lead to obsessive and highly destructive behaviors, compulsions. Hopefully that makes sense in terms of where those sorts of behaviors might come from in this context. Number 13. Number 13. When you rate yourself globally, evaluating yourself, instead of respecting yourself, evaluating what you do, you are constantly preoccupied with whether or not you're a good or worthy person and constantly judging others if they are worthy and good people. And this leads to probably the biggest kahuna of them all. The biggest kahuna of them all. This is the, the, the gnarliest symptom of the self-esteem disease, prejudiced, prejudiced. Self-rating and other rating is the heart of all forms of prejudice. It is the bedrock of generalized labels. If one or two or three or 10 of your thousands of traits or their thousands of traits or situations compels you to feel like you're completely the best or completely the worst or totally excommunicated or totally or absolutely anything, especially when you feel that way about yourself. If you make a couple of goofs or have a couple of traits that you hate and then you hate yourself, the same thing and you end up doing the same thing to other people. They, they do a couple of things or have a, have a couple of traits that they hate and then you end up hating them. You might use a different word, but there's still essentially a global assertion of, of inferiority because of a small handful of traits, okay? This means that... <laughs> You are being prejudiced against yourself and therefore prejudiced against other people. Break down the word prejudiced. It literally means to judge in advance, meaning prejudging, right? Meaning before you have all the information, for Pete's sake, if you do this to yourself, then you practically always do it, do it to other people. Think hard of the implications there. Thank you for learning. This is the home stretch. Got, got about two more of these coming. Until next time. 
Want to continue having coffee with Dr. Kashi? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is very much appreciated. Thank you, and see you next week. Dr. Kashi is out! <laughs>